When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffway. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffway and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk about Session Zero. Nathan, what is a Session Zero? It's it's like the first session, but it isn't the first session. <laughs> as is so often the case with these technically right but generally insufficient so in a more practical sense session zero is the conversation that is an optional thing to discuss with your players what it is that you're planning to do before you actually jump into the actual session one of a new campaign so, Nathan, what kind of topics should get brought up at a session zero? Um, stuff like who your characters are, stuff like what you're going to be playing, stuff like what to not do. Absolutely correct. And actually, before I do uh, dive deeper into those topics, in retrospect, there's one other question that I should ask before we do that, which is, what is your opinion on whether a DM should do a session zero? Yeah, I think I think uh, session zeros are very, very good to have as a DM. Uh, it really helps uh, just make sure that everyone's on board with what you're going to be doing um, and helps for a more cohesive start to your campaign. Correct. And we'll definitely talk more about that a little bit later. So let's dive right in onto the things to talk about at that session zero. So first things first, like you were talking about, is characters. So when you are starting a new campaign, obviously most players at the table are probably going to be creating new characters. It's possible that you may do something like we have in the past, which is that you might have uh, one or more of the players pull in an old PC to resume a previous campaign. But generally speaking, it's going to be most people or everyone creating new characters. So why is it that a session zero can be helpful in terms of everyone coordinating with the character creation? This allows you to basically have some predetermined uh, intergroup, like, what do you call it? Like certain social things that your characters are connected by and mm -hmm. can help your group dynamic when you begin the thing before like you get anything rolling. Because one thing that I've noticed during uh, some campaigns is that during the start, it's, it's a bit slow to start because you don't have much to work with. And that helps a bit with that or original slow start. Absolutely. So this is a great time to plan out character's backstory before you actually dive into the full campaign. Because, yeah, you can do the thing of, you know, you trickle in your character's backstory as time goes by. But if you are playing in a game where the assumption is that these characters know each other, at least somewhat, 
when you're going into the game, then it does make sense for at least some of the backstory to be known. To go into the session one with that kind of bond already established. Like maybe you're having two player characters that are playing siblings, or maybe you're just having a situation where, you know, maybe one of the player characters, you know, was arrested at some point in the past and is, you know, assigned as punishment to, you know, go out and commit good deeds and that the other player character is their parole officer. Like, there are no limit to the number of kind of bonds and interactions that you can pre-establish before you actually begin the campaign itself. Also, in regards to character creation still, it's a good time to just establish the rules that you are planning to just have for characters. So as an example, D&D has a lot of races in the game, and some of them may not fit into an established homebrew world. So if you have something like, you know, the Loxodon, which are elephant people, that's just a bit more high fantasy than a lot of DMs may want in their campaign. If they're playing like a lower magic world, you know, you may not want to have elephant people with guns as part of your game. (laughs) At the same time, I do personally think that they're hilarious, but that's also just because I like elephants. But anyway, uh, another good thing is to just kind of coordinate what it is that each player character's role might be in the party. So if you want to have some kind of theme, like maybe you're playing a campaign where like there is a big war going on across kingdoms and you are a special forces team that are sent off to just complete various tasks to inconvenience the enemy. So, okay, if you have, you know, four fighters as your party, well, that might get potentially troublesome. So if you do have, you know, four people in your party, I'm just going to use that as my kind of default assumption going forward here. Then if you don't have a healer, if you don't have any kind of magic user, if you don't have, you know, the other roles that can be filled by player characters, then that could really be potentially troublesome to not have the ideal kind of party diversity. On the other hand, you can just lean into something like that. Like maybe that is the thing that you're trying to do. It could very well be something like, okay, I want to have the thing where it is a party full of bards and all of them may have, you know, different colleges that they went to to have those kind of little bits of variation. But I want to just play a party of bards and you're just like a traveling circus that all interacts with each other. And that's just the game that we want to play. Like it is good to just have that kind of chat with your players to just also go over. If you have a plan, that doesn't automatically mean that your player characters may necessarily want to do that or they may have other ideas like nathan when we had our session zero before arc two of riftwake like what kind of options did we talk about for that honestly i don't remember much but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> i i vaguely remember us like going over the prior campaign and then talking about what we wanted to do for the upcoming campaign and essentially i came up with like we eventually decided on the monster hunter thing and then i walked off that yeah and we had a couple of options so if we could just be you know the typical do-gooder adventurers out there we could have a thing where you might 
have a patron kind of style game. Adventurous. Yeah, obviously we didn't pick that one, and we wouldn't (laughs) pick that one because we're us. But to have that those kinds of options can be a nice thing when planning out just the campaign that you want to play to make sure that it's also a campaign that they want to play. So getting that kind of just verification that, okay, good, we're all on the same page. And yes, this is something that I would have fun writing, that you would have fun exploring and playing to just bring maximum enjoyment to everyone at the table, DM and player alike. And to have those kinds of game options before the campaign really is an undervalued aspect of session zeros in general, because usually what I, at least I've seen in my own personal experience is that a dungeon master will usually have the story that they want to tell and then they just do that. But to actually give options to your players about which game they want to play do you want to play like a kind of you know rogue heist style game do you want to play you know political stuff do you want to play you know monster hunting or just fighting kind of stuff there's a lot of aspects of available in a DD game so to have that conversation of what are the people interested in is really, really valuable because like we talked about back in the player types episode, people want different things and figuring out just what that balance is for how hard you want to lean in a certain direction is a valuable thing. So next up, I would say how you play D&D is another thing to bring up at the table. So what I mean by that is what house rules do you use and just what are the topics that you know you want to put in the group's social contract. So Nathan, what kind of stuff in terms of homebrew should you bring up in a session 0? So uh one of the big ones is okay, how okay, do we have how how do you handle uh, certain things? Uh do you like and and certain aspects of the game that aren't obvious. So like one of the big ones are um the fact that there's no revival in my world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you are playing a game that doesn't have resurrection, that's the really the kind of thing that should not be a surprise in game because player characters will usually go into D&D with that expectation. So if that, you are not doing that, that would be cr- <laughs> we would revolt if you did that like a player character dies and we were like okay like who is it like do we we have a you know we know this ninth level cleric and we're gonna go and you know pay him for the resurrection and you're like no no that's not a thing here we would we would go to singapore and murder you (laughs) that'd be amazing uh you say that now (laughs) but there really is an infinite amount of customization available to D&D. But if you are just touching things that do change player choices, it is absolutely recommended to just let players know ahead of time. So to also, for example, let them know, okay, like these are, you know, the most common races and these are the more uncommon ones so you can pick these ones but know that if you do pick a tiefling for example yes, yes. you're going this to have a less talk. positive experience in the game <laughs> because they are unfortunately you know looked down upon in the world and also honestly, on that note oh sorry go ahead honestly that's my favorite part of the game when i'm telling you 
if you want to be a tiefling, people won't treat you like any other. <laughs> you are going to be treated as lesser, and it's going to yeah. be great. <laughs> and the bright side of that, too, is that that does give us the choice as players that I might want to kind of challenge myself, you know, in the more acting side of D&D, where I can just figure, okay, I want to, you know, play, you know, a, you know, some kind of charming tiefling, like playing something like a tiefling warlock in a world like Riftwake, where, boy, is that an unfortunate combination of race and class. Like, I know what I'm going into with that setup and would be choosing to do so for the sake of, you know, my personal enjoyment and entertainment of just like, OK, I know that I'm going to be playing almost on hard mode and just am making that choice for the fun of it. So also other stuff to talk about on the homebrew side of things is what kind of just differences do you have in the game so like we talked about you know the races which ones are more or less common uh, also uh sorry one thing i was distracted from before is what races are unavailable so again using the loxodon as the classic example or to you know not allow something like an orc or goblin player character or just to make, warn them that that might be you know the hard mode option depending on like the kingdom you're in and all that kind of stuff but another thing is that if you are playing with the same people over a longer period of time, you might be starting a new campaign with a different setup or even a different setting. So let's just say that some distant point in the future that we are playing in a game with Nathan as DM. That is, let's just say we do some kind of weird time skip and it's a hundred years in the future then things might be really different. So and then he figured out the plot of Arc 5. <laughs> duh. I could totally see the hints coming. <laughs> the joke is that Nathan doesn't plan that far. But anyway, but to plan out, okay, so if I'm playing a game that is 100 years farther in the timeline, is there going to be any kind of technological difference? So there are options for like D&D, you know, firearms and, you know, advanced technology and steampunk. There's a lot of angles of technological development. So it's possible that a DM might make the choice like I want to kind of play around with that myself and just kind of see how that affects the D&D experience. So what you know, what do you, my players, think of the idea of taking some kind of like massive time skip and then giving a shot to a steampunk game? And that may be something that's pretty interesting. But on the other hand, it may also be a situation of, oh, OK, that did not go the way that I really planned it to. And in that case, you may need to make some retcons, which is something we'll talk a lot more about on Thursday's episode. But thinking about, you know, the level of technology, thinking about the options available to players, uh, spells also. So uh, like Nathan was saying, resurrection is not possible in the world of Riftwake. But there are a lot of, you know, spells and such that are able to do that in D&D. &D. So, OK, if that's the case, then 
then you are taking away certain spell options that players have. And resurrection aside, that is something that a DM is always able to do. So are there spells in the game that you don't care for as a DM and don't want to have in your world? So some other examples of that is a lot of the spells that just take away danger by just... A snap of your fingers is something that a lot of, of DMs them. don't care for. All of them. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's something Press you could do. If you want to play in a D&D <laughs> game that has no magic, so you are only playing with non-spellcaster characters, you can choose to do that. And honestly, that might be a kind of interesting thing. Like maybe you are playing in, you know, a world where, you know, magic is feared and looked down upon, kind of like Dark Sun. Or if you want to play, like maybe you're just playing in a short campaign that just has this like maybe there's one you know large island or small continent that just is a magical dead zone so then any characters who go there are just are by necessity you know just non-magic using characters like that could be a pretty interesting thing to explore is to just see in a right. D game without magic honestly um talking about that i just like a slight slight tangent is that sometimes i find magic very annoying because i, I want to do <laughs> cool shit right and then that that there's an exact spell that just solves it like for example if you look back at the halloween episode right i was so creative <laughs> in my solution you know and the mm -hmm. thing is that there was a very simple one one step answer that i could have chosen but it wouldn't have been nearly as funny uh yeah it just the sheer reaction when you noticed that on your character sheet was just glorious to me i enjoyed that moment a lot but that is also part of the interest in D&D is that there are all of these hugely powerful abilities of magic, but a lot of them, a lot of them do just instantly solve problems. So if you have something like, you know, Goodberry to make it so that you just are automatically don't have to worry about food for a day for the entire party with a single first level spell slot then it's hard to have those kinds of like starvation stakes if you just can just make that disappear. Uh, another spell that I see a lot of DMs complain about is Rope Trick, which is a really accessible spell to just hide away in an extra dimensional space that is just safe and just away for a solid hour. Like it is just insane how powerful so many of even the low level spells are another good one charm person so mind control is something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable and honestly for good reason because there are a lot of just creepy implications of a lot of exactly. the charm a lot of status effects that exist there's a lot of uh, predatory uh, actions that could have been could be taken. Yeah. And while thankfully, you know, charm person may be, you know, slightly less prone to abuse because it does, you know, only make a friendly acquaintance. It's not a full on mind control. Full on mind control does exist. And it is just scary that that is so. 
So, so fun. It is within your rights as a DM to just say any spell with the charm status effect is removed from the game as an option. It is not going to be available to PCs. It is not going to be available to NPCs. It just no. That's just not in my world because, you know, the gods decreed that <laughs> they were like, no, this is there's no mind control. <laughs> like, or honestly, you, know, you don't need to hand wave it that hard, obviously. Honestly, if anyone wants to figure out um, what I deem as a good spell, if using that spell can cause someone suffering. Yeah. Basically, yeah, you want there good. to only be the evocation school of magic. No divination, no no, no nothing that protects no you. Right? I just I just want you just shit want the explosion. People feel pain. Yeah, you just want evocation, no abjuration, none of it. Just evocation and necromancy. And even then, you cut necromancy in half. Exactly. You just want the painful half. No, nobody not, gets not re- resurrections. Half. When you die, you die, and you but suffer. But circle of now. death is a great spell. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but anyway, so tangenting off of charm, though, we'll go to the last thing here, which is the social contract. So with the implications of charm magic, like the implication is that you can do a lot of immoral, creepy and just outright bad things. So session zero is the time or not the time because you could always bring it up, but the preferred time, I'll put it to discussing what are a person's hard and soft limits? What are the topics that just make you uncomfortable that might be valuable for a DM to poke to get a reaction? And what are the topics that are a hard no, just this is not okay, do not fucking do that. Like, for example, one thing that I feel that is really not okay is the use of prestidigitation. It's a... It's a heinous act against humanity. Um, it should be stopped. <laughs> uh, anyone who uses it deserves to die and go to hell. Thank you very much. That That's all I need to say. Uh-huh. Well, I'm sure I'll be going there someday. But uh, I fucking love prestidigitation. Yeah, we, know, we all know how wrong you are, Nathan. It's the best spell. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't, but okay. <laughs> no, like, joking aside, like... Uh, my feelings of that spell are well known at this point in time. Uh, if for some reason you are a newer listener, uh, hi. But uh, we actually did an entire episode on prestidigitation in the past, and it has been mentioned many, many, many more times since because it is best spell. But anyway, uh, like in all seriousness, though, like I as a player abuse prestidigitation a lot because it is my favorite spell and i usually do try to maneuver every character i play to get access to it in some form or other and I hate you. <laughs> because it's just it's such a quality of life improvement for any character to have it so as a dm nathan is perfectly within his rights to say just remy cut it out like okay like maybe he can even just have there be a little bit more of a nerf to the spell like yeah okay it'll like clean the mud off but you know your clothes might still be stained a bit or it might still leave like some streaks on your face or maybe it's it feels like just getting like scrubbed with a wire brush like yeah it'll clean you but it fucking hurts like not enough to damage you but it's just incredibly uncomfortable like to try no, to the, just the get point. me to not abuse it quite so badly. No, no. Here's the thing. I don't. I don't. I don't hate prestidigitation as an as a concept. 
the issue is that whenever I say, "Oh, so you want you, you feel the blood drip down your 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 hands or something like that, right? Like something cool and cinematic." You just go, "Oh, press the digitation." I slam the table, and, and, that's, <laughs> and that's what happens. But I'm a germaphobe, and I hate the idea of leaving my characters covered in blood or mud or whatever various terrible things you expose us to. Like, and honestly, like that's the kind of thing that even can get brought up at a session zero. Like, joking aside, I am a severe germaphobe, and it just is a problem that I have in general. So to have my characters described as like having just come out of a sewer covered in shit makes me very uncomfortable. And if I have the option of a character with access to prestidigitation to clean off, I'm going to damn well use it. So yeah, it is something that Nathan dislikes, but it is an honest issue that I have. I've decided I'm going to make a a fly monster and it's going to be larvae and it's going to, it's going to crawl on you. It's going to be great. I'll admit, I was expecting you to just say something just like a giant seagull to just get covered in bird shit. So I'm at least glad that it's not that. No, fuck you. That is, no, I grew up in Florida and it is a bad thing. Okay. Things to note for future campaigns. God damn it. That's it. I'm making only magic users from here on out so everyone will have prestidigitation. No! (laughs) (laughs) All right. In summary, there are a lot of things that can make a session zero incredibly useful before beginning a new campaign. So talking about what is going to be the characters and kind of party setup, what is the customizations and homebrew that you as a DM might be using, and what is the social contract that you are going to play with. But altogether, it is not a necessary thing to do, but it is highly advisable to make sure that the DM and players are on the same page to bring maximum enjoyment to everyone at the table. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwakepodcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riftwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riftwakepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for today. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.